0: So welcome to our Wednesday Bible study. This is our last week with working with Philippians and joy in all circumstances. Next week, we'll be starting a new Bible study, and we'll be talking about all creation sings. We'll be doing three weeks of talking about the splendor of God's creation, both in Scripture and in music, and reflecting upon both the beauty of that and our role in the world in which God has created But first, today, we're going to conclude our time with the book of Philippians. And this series has been called Joy in All Circumstances. Today, we'll be focusing on Think on These Things. If I could just have one little moment of humor, I was tempted to call this series Bible Study in My Basement because that's where I've been recording most of it. I want to thank you for being with me each week as we've journeyed with Paul in this letter. So today we're going to catch up with the church in Philippi again. And we're going to hear that there is a dispute that is happening between two of the leaders in the congregation, Euodia and Syntyche. Hear now Paul's words. My brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. If there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. If you're looking at the printed study guide, you'll be able to see there's a cartoon of two women who are in a dispute, and one is yelling at the other, pointing her finger and saying, I don't know why he listed me first, since you're the one who started it. You're the one who started it is often how we hear disagreements between one another. And to the extent that you may have heard this passage before, it's often portrayed as a petty spat between two women. But this is really so much more than that. Scholars have noted that Philippi, which is in the area of Macedonia, has produced the most competent group of men the world had seen, and the women were in all respects the men's counterparts. The prominence of women owes in part to Macedonian princes and queens after the time of Alexander and the trickle-down effect of their influence. Women were poets and scholars and magistrates. Greek women enjoyed greater personal freedom and participation in social and economic life than other women in the Eastern Mediterranean. And during the Roman period, some women owned estates in their own right and were financially secure enough to be patrons of the religious cults of the day. Greek women with Roman citizenship held high civic office and were priestesses in the imperial cult there in the temples of goddesses like Diana and Isis. These spaces were decorated with carvings where male subjects were far outnumbered by female subjects, which might come as a surprise. So given the prominent place of women in Macedonian life and in pagan religious life, it is not surprising that the core of the first converts to Christianity here were women, nor that the first house church was located in the home of a woman merchant. In fact, Lydia, who we hear about in the 16th chapter of Acts, is the paradigm of an independent woman in this era and in this place. Paul had written of her, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside to the city gate by the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down. And began to speak to the women who had gathered there one of those listening was a woman from the city of thyatira named lydia a dealer in purple cloth she was a worshiper of god the lord opened her heart to respond to paul's message when she and members of her household were baptized she invited us to her home if you consider me a believer in the lord she said come and stay at my house and she persuaded us lydia was the head of her household, active in religious and civic life and open to new spiritual ideas. Euodia and Syntyche, likewise, were leaders of the Christian community. Their prominence in Philippi continues after Paul. For example, Polycarp will go on to write an epistle, another letter, to this church, exhorting women to behave in ways that will protect the church from disrepute. This is not written to marginalize the role of women, but in recognition of it. By the 6th century, there were four basilicas in Philippi, and inscriptions on these churches are dedicated to women who served as deacons and canonesses and servants of the church. The fact that the cultural context is what it is, and the fact that Paul does not prohibit Euodia or Syntyche From continuing to serve in spite of their difficulties affirms the continuing prominence of women in the philippian church so what is going on with euodia and syntyche well we don't know exactly what the disagreement or conflict is however given that paul in the greek says i entreat euodia and i entreat syntyche he's not being drawn into one side of the dispute. He's giving them equal prominence as leaders. Additionally, he's asking them to think the same things in the Lord, meaning that this is not a petty personality conflict, but it has to do with the mission of the gospel in Philippi, where they are serving as leaders. This is not a dispute about whether they can be leaders as women. It is a disagreement among leaders. About something of importance. Paul uses the word paracallo, which is a Greek word that can mean I beg, I encourage, I console. These women are his co workers in the gospel and they are his friends. Paul has earlier encouraged, encouraged unity and like mindedness in chapter two, and then in chapter three has suggested. That if the church cannot be like minded with another, to wait for God's revelation. Now, he goes on to ask a third person, my loyal companion, who knows these leaders, to help the process. Paul is yoking them together, so to speak, an image of walking together to become in sync. Paul sees this is of importance because the disagreement is just one more challenge for this church community, in addition to external pressures. And their witness will be diluted if there continues to be a disagreement that's tearing them apart. Spiritually, Paul is communicating in part that the leaders should transcend their differences and preferences for the good of the whole community. And that where there is dissension, The community itself is to help the healing process and not take sides and widen rifts. Have you ever noticed how sometimes we spend more energy on tending hurts than healing them? There are any number of ways that we might see this in our world today, not only in the state of religious life. So Paul moves on to encourage this faith community To rejoice, or better stated, may you be joyful in whatever circumstances, hence the name of our Bible study these last weeks. Paul hopes for them to be joyful in the present and in the future, in positive times and in trying ones. And this is not the same thing as just being happy, this is rejoicing in the Lord, the source. And end of Christian joy is the hope Christ offers in our relationship with him. In this relationship and its grounding, let your attitude be known. Paul characterizes this as letting things go. Let go of, in terms of forbearing. Let go by having an attitude that does not seek retaliation. Let go by meeting halfway. Let go by using self discipline. Let go by having respect for the dignity of others. When you forbear, when you let go in this way, your witness for the gospel will be known. Because it's countercultural, is it not? to act in this way when we can be so tempted to act otherwise. Perhaps take a moment and ponder how each of these terms says something a little different. I'll read them again in a moment and consider which one seems the most challenging and which one seems the easiest. Forbear. Have an attitude that does not seek retaliation. Meet others halfway. Engage in self-discipline. Have respect for the dignity of others. I'm sure as we consider how these each say something similar and yet something not quite the same, we might find that one strikes us more than another. But the one thing that is in common Is that in each of these ways of being there is a connection between the joy in Christ and this attitude. This forbearance is the attitude that the two leaders in the epistle to the Philippian church will need if church unity is to be maintained and if the world around them will see the Christ-like witness. The same is true us today. But remember, this is a time when there are both internal pressures and external pressures, and they're also worried that Paul is in prison. This is when Paul says, the Lord is at hand. This image of God with us reminds us that we have what we need to pursue this attitude and this way of being. The Lord is at hand. We have Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is when Paul uses opposites of nothing and everything to make his point. Being anxious in nothing is paired with submitting everything in prayer and supplication to the Lord. Chances are that the true source of discord for Euodia, And Syntyche, is rooted in anxiety, as it often is for us. Surely, sources of anxiety and brooding are present. For the church at Philippi, there may be concerns of persecution, worries about opponents, fears over the divisiveness, seemingly a lot of enemies around, as well as their concern for their leader. Paul is a realist. He knows human nature is to worry, just as Jesus does, just as throughout scripture we hear when God sends messengers to tell us not to worry, not to be afraid. But lest we hear that as something we can't possibly achieve, and therefore one more thing to worry about, what Paul is essentially telling us is transfer the load that you are carrying to one who can bear it, Jesus Christ. The best way for us to approach our anxieties is in prayer and transferring the weight of those burdens to the one who can bear it. Submit everything in prayer and supplication, which is just a fancy word for prayer but the way that we do this also matters. We do it with thanksgiving. Every prayer, every request should be made in the context and the attitude of gratitude for what God has already done and given. As a practical matter, think about when you have to ask someone to do something for you. Isn't it easier to ask When the one you are asking is someone that you think is actually listening or actually cares? Isn't it easier when you know that the one you are asking has taken care of you or responded to you before? Think of how you feel when that's not true and how unlikely it is that you'll have faith in such a one who has not been there in the ways I just described. We may not realize it completely, but our brains are processing our past gratitude to shape our current perceptions all the time. And if every time you asked someone for something, you were met with criticism or apathy or empty promises where you were dismissed, how would you feel? You'd probably not want to approach them again. Throughout scripture, we see in many places, especially in the Psalms, that someone is reflecting upon a need that was met in the past as a reason why they can approach God now. The Psalms of thanksgiving often first recall an event that has happened in the past before moving toward how the person hopes to see God in the present and the future. Gratitude is a calming and grounding mindset. If you're not sure about that, the next time you're worried about something is a way to reframe your own perception. Stop and look around and name five things that you see, five things that you hear, five things that you can smell or feel. I'm pretty sure that just about every single time, one of those is going to make you smile. It might be the song of a bird. It might be the rush of the breeze. It might be the smell of something in the kitchen. One of those things will bring a moment of gratitude, however small. It's a calming and a grounding mindset. Now that we've postured ourselves that way, Paul says, let your requests be known. Notice that he does not say, Show up and demand or tell God what to do. And I confess, I've done that sometimes. Maybe you have too. Let your requests be known. And take those anxieties and concerns, hurts, and other fears to God in prayer. Beginning by remembering who God has been and in gratitude now we can find a glimpse of the peace of God. Friends, this peace is not the absence of conflict. It is a deeper, inner peace. The peace that surpasses our everyday understanding. It's beyond pure intellect. Rationality is not the only way of knowing. Anxiety can be a suffering that we inflict upon ourselves. Peace is a gift God freely gives to all. We can transfer our heart and our mind to Christ. And this same God promises to guard our hearts and our minds from all of the above concerns and more in Christ Jesus, keeping us safe from our worst fears Protecting our hearts and minds is a way of speaking of God's care for our whole person and that we are in the sphere of concern and influence of Christ. Paul's letter ends with naming a series of virtues, high-minded qualities. These lists were common in Paul's day. He's commending a popular cultural view in a new and Christian way as a witness and out of care for the others. There are six total virtues, beginning with whatever is, whatever is true, whatever is honorable or worthy of respect, whatever is just or righteous, the key virtue for peaceful communal life, whatever is pure, morally pure, whatever is lovely, ways of living that are attractive to us and to others so that we can be attracted to God. Whatever is of good report or shows a positive reputation in the world as a witness, if there be any praise, and there is, think on these things, consider them, meditate upon them. Remember, Paul says, what you have seen and heard and learned. This will help you experience the peace of God with you now. Paul knows that one great area of sin is bound up in our thoughts. And so he's giving alternatives, both to serious thoughts and concerns, and I would imagine even the petty ones. Our thoughts matter as much as our actions. Whether our thoughts are cluttered by anxiety or misunderstandings in this time, Paul says, be joyful, be moderate, be at peace. And you can be so because your heart and mind will be open to receive God's peace if you do the things that you have heard and seen and received. Joy and peace don't exist independent from the suffering and the struggle we see They exist in the midst of it. That's the hope written from a man in prison to a community that's struggling with each other and with the world around them. To remind them that the joy and peace that we can know are an inner life with a God who loves us, who seeks us out and promises to be present for us. So as we close this day, I'd like to share a prayer from Soren Kierkegaard. Calm my troubled heart, give me peace. O Lord, calm the waves of this heart, calm its tempests. Calm thyself, O soul, so that the divine can act in thee. Calm thyself, O soul, so that God is able to repose in thee, so that his peace may cover thee. Yes, Father in heaven, often have we found that the world cannot give us peace, but make us feel that thou art able to give peace. Let us know the truth of thy promises, that the whole world may not be able to take away your peace. Amen. Friends, it's been great to be with you again today. And please know that again this Sunday, we will have video worship pre-recorded and posted on our social media page and website by 7 a.m., you can also tune into our podcast. This week we've had a special podcast with Cindy Fritz and Peter Horn as we talked about Psalm 23 and our lesson from Philippians in a way that it is designed to appeal to anyone of any age but also especially to include our kids and families. And we have drive-in worship at 8:30 in the morning this Sunday and our radio broadcast at 10:30 a.m. on WRSC AM. FM or on your smart device. Friends, however, we gather, it is a joy to be with you. And I just want to remind you that as we gather to be God's people, this coming week will be our virtual crop walk. Please consider contributing to this worthy cause to bring peace and feed the hungry. And we are gathering our financial contributions to prepare for Blanket Sunday, which will be on October 25th. And so we encourage you to help support these wonderful ways that we are God's hand and heart in the world. Take care, friends, and we'll see you soon.